Father God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you and study your word together. <clears throat> I make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities to teach, but I am depending on you. And therefore, I know that you will anoint my mind that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for supernatural recall of the scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind, bringing understanding and really confusion to every heart, bringing faith, dispelling every fear. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, and all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Sorry? All right, well, we continue our series on the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, part three. Now, say this with me, please, everybody. If we deal with the spiritual forces in the atmosphere around us, we can control the natural realm. Again, if I deal with the spiritual forces in the atmosphere around me, I can control the natural realm. All right, this is part three in our series. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. All right. So if you are born again, according to the Word of God, you and Christ are one. One. One spirit with Him. Is that in your Bible? Put up your hand if that's in your Bible. Absolutely. All right. Said so that I am one with Christ. Christ and I are one. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. All right, so how many of you have a body here this morning? Would you put your hand up? See, some of you don't have bodies. So, you are the body of Christ, right? You are. It says, but now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you are separate members, different members, but you are part of that body. Now, Ephesians verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great <clears throat> love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So when, <clears throat> when God raised Christ from the dead, He raised us at the same time and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we know that Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father God in heaven. And according to the Scripture, we have been raised with Christ and we are sitting in Christ right now on Christ's throne on the right hand of the Father. That's what the Bible said. 
So say that with me. I am seated with Christ, in Christ, on His throne, on the right hand of the Father. Because I am one with Christ. Now, whenever we exercise authority, we must see ourselves doing it from our position of authority on the right hand of the Father in Christ. See, all things under your authority, under your feet. We must exercise authority knowing that we are speaking on Christ's behalf with His authority. The place... The right hand of God is the place of the greatest authority in the universe. There is no place in the universe that has greater authority than this place, the right hand of the Father. And that's where you are. Jesus Christ has been given this authority to rule from His throne over all things. Say that. Christ has been given this authority to rule from His throne over all things. Jesus Christ will not rule or exercise any authority except He does it through His body. We are the body, the church, Jesus will not exercise any authority unless He does it through us, through believers, through believers, worldwide believers. He is the head, we are His body. The head does not work independently of the body. Your head does not work independently of your body. I did not notice any heads floating in church here this morning without bodies. You brought your body with you. Did you? How have you brought your body with you? Because you and your body are one. So Christ and you and I are one. He does not exercise authority except He does it through the body. He's waiting on us. We are waiting on God. Stop it. He's waiting on us. If God was going to do stuff without the church, He would have fixed the problems of this world by now. The devil has caused a lot of problems in this world. A lot of things go wrong. Not only around the world, but also in our lives, the devil tries to cause problems. And if God were going to fix all those problems without the church, He would have been able to fix them all by now. So clearly, say this, God, God Jesus, Jesus, does not exercise authority, not exercise authority in, this world, in this world except, except through, his through His body, the church. Some Christians have exercised more authority over circumstances than others have. But it is God's will for all of us to enforce the will of Christ on the earth. 
It's God's will for all of us to enforce the will of Christ on the earth. The victory that He won, He wants us to enforce. What is the will of Christ? It's the Word of God. It's revealed in the Bible. So God wants us to enforce the Word of God in the earth. In other words, God wants us to ensure that everybody in this world is living by the Word of God. Amen. Obeying the Word, being doers of the Word, submitting to the Word. Amen. Yes. Believing according to the Word. One thing we must always remember when we deal with the devil, and that is that we are dealing with someone who has been stripped of his authority. Said so that the devil has been stripped of his authority. The devil has been dethroned, dethroned. He is totally defeated by the Lord Jesus. Colossians 2.15 And having disarmed the powers and authorities, referring to demons and evil spirits, disarmed them, Christ made a public spectacle of Satan and demons, triumphing over them, by the cross. So God gave the earth and all of His creation, the entire universe, to Adam. God said, Adam, I give you dominion, that means rule as the owner, of all the work of my hands. You could say that God made Adam God of this world. God made Adam God of all of His creation. Satan outsmarted Adam and convinced Adam to eat the forbidden fruit and sin against God. By so doing, Satan was able to overpower Adam and take Adam's position of authority in running the universe. So now Satan has become the God of this world. Adam is no longer the God of this world. Satan is because he pounced on Adam and took that authority from him when he sinned. Now let's imagine you lease a house for six years and you move in. And then somebody else comes along, overpowers you, and lives in your house for six years with your lease. That's what the devil has done to the human race. God gave man 6,000 years on this earth, and the seventh 1,000 year is Christ's reign. Christ's reign on the earth for 1,000 years, the millennium reign of Christ, is the seventh day, the Lord's day. The first 6,000 years are for man. The Bible said a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. In other words, the 7,000 year period is like one week, and the seventh day is the Lord's day, the last day of the week. So, God gave all that to Adam, and Satan overtook Adam. And now, you ask the question, we're in 2021. It was 2,000 years to Noah, 2,000 years to Jesus. 2,000 years and 21 from Jesus. 
So why are we gone past the 6,000 year lease of Adam? And I believe it's because God's grace and mercy is so great that He's giving us more time to get more people into the kingdom of Christ before the Lord returns. And that's why Satan is desperately trying to bring the human race into slavery. The devil knows his time is up and he's trying to bring us into slavery. He's trying desperately to chip away at our freedoms. Little by little, he's trying to take away our freedoms to bring us into slavery. The Antichrist kingdom will rule as a dictator and turn the human race into slaves. So he wants to completely control every human being before Christ returns. When we were born again, by accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we were transferred out of Satan's kingdom into Christ's kingdom. Satan no longer has any hold over us, over the church. No hold at all. The type of that, the example of that, is the Old Testament where God totally destroyed Egypt with plagues and brought the children of Israel out of Egypt to Canaan. Egypt is a type of the world. The Pharaoh is a type of the Antichrist or the devil. And God brought the children of Israel, which is a type of the church, out of Egypt and took them to their inheritance, the land of Canaan, which is a type of us being in Christ's kingdom. And uh, along the way, they went through the Red Sea. And God drowned the Egyptian army. So now, on the one side of the Red Sea, you got Pharaoh standing by himself in his chariot. On the other side of the Red Sea, you got the children of Israel dancing with tambourines and praising God for their freedom. And when they look back, they see one man on the other shore of the Sea of Galilee. His name is Pharaoh, with a decimated army and kingdom. And they know he can't hurt them anymore. They know he can't hurt them anymore. And that's where you and I are. We're in Christ's kingdom, and the devil is decimated, destroyed. His kingdom is rubble and ruins. He has no authority. He can't hurt us anymore. We'll walk on serpents, tread on scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. 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 That's if you use the authority that you have. Amen. Now then, you see, when Satan tempted Adam to sin, he was able to take control of the human race and Adam, of course. Jesus, uh, uh, Satan took control of Adam and the entire human race just because Adam sinned. Now what God did, what Jesus did, the second Adam, he came and reversed that. He reversed what Adam did. Jesus took our sin, forgave the human race, 
and reversed what Adam, what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. So now Adam, you might say, is back in the Garden of Eden in charge. We are now in charge because our sins removed. The reason for Satan's authority is gone. We are forgiven. So we now are in charge. We are now the rulers of the universe, the churches. The church operates with Christ's authority, and all things are under his feet. All things. And you operate with that authority. Therefore, all things are under your feet. You rule the universe again. Satan had no idea. It wasn't in his wildest dreams that God would die and be punished for our sins to remove Satan's authority over the human race. We must see that. We must understand that. The devil has been put to naught. You are in charge. We have to have this revelation. When you talk to Satan and demons, there's no need to be afraid. Smith Wigglesworth woke up one morning, one night, and the devil was sitting on the foot of his bed. You know what the Smith Wigglesworth did? He said, oh, it's only you. And he turned over, put his back to him, and went to sleep. Because you're hoping it might have been Jesus who's sitting on the bed. Say that the devil has no authority over me. Because I'm in Christ's kingdom. Amen. Colossians 1.12. Always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to these people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Said so that when Christ forgave us our sins, he purchased our freedom from the devil, from sickness, from poverty, from failure, from death. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has absolute authority over the kingdom of darkness in every realm. It is very important for us to understand Satan's plan and to know how to exercise authority over him so we can stop his attacks in his end times. Satan is mounting all sorts of attacks against Christianity in his end times. But we are not ignorant of his devices. And we must stop him. We must recognize the devil at work and stop him by dealing with the realm of the spirit. Because if we do not recognize what's going on is demonic, we can lie down and let him run all over us. We are not to do that. We are to exercise our authority over the kingdom of darkness because of Christ and for Christ. Satan is controlling and manipulating much of what's happening on earth today. All these problems in the world today is the devil's work. However, he's not running the church, and he's not running you, and he's not running me. He's not in charge of us. We will not allow him to be. We will dominate the devil. We have authority from Christ to do that. Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. 
Jesus said all authority was given to him in heaven and on earth. Now I wonder, how much authority is included in the word all? I wonder, how much authority is included in the word all? Say all, all. means all, means all. Because, because that is what all means. And if Christ has all authority, and God said in Romans 8, 17, whatever He gave to Christ, He gave to us as well. That means that you have all authority. That's why you can walk on serpents and over all the powers of the kingdom of darkness, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We are the body of Christ. The reason problems exist, the reason problems exist, is because the church, the body, allows them to exist. So that the reason problems exist in this world is because I allow them to exist, even in, our li in my life. We're not going to let that happen anymore, aren't we? We're going to stop the devil so that I can change natural circumstances by dealing with the spiritual realm. In these last days, the church is going to do great and mighty exploits. We're going to operate full in the fullness of Christ's authority. We're going to recognize the authority he has and understand that we have a right to it. We have a right to it. This morning, Pastor Bev and I were getting ready, and I don't know what the subject was we're talking about. And um, so I just said to her, I said, you know, people get the idea when they do miracles, like I've seen so many healings and miracles in my ministry through the years. I've got about 70 phenomenal ones on video. Um, you see them getting healed. You have their testimonies afterwards. And um, I said to her, I said, you know, people get the idea, ministers especially, because they see, oh, yeah, yeah, somebody died. So anyway, uh, I said... People get the idea that because they see miracles in their life and ministry, that they are cool spiritually, that they're right with God, that they're right with God, and it has nothing to do with it, because the name of Jesus will work for whoever uses it, whether you're right with God or not. You must understand the authority of Christ is there. Whether you are good or bad, it's there, and you can use it. You can use it. You don't have to be a 100% perfect Christian to use it. Unsaved people were casting demons out when Jesus was on the earth. Right? The disciples came and said, Lord, should we stop this guy? He's casting demons out in your name. He said, no, don't stop him. He wasn't born again. Jesus hadn't died and risen. He wasn't even in the group. He wasn't even in the crowd. He wasn't even in the crowd. He wasn't with the disciples. Jesus said, don't, leave him alone. Jesus could have said, he's not casting demons out. Well, he was. I'm saying to you, 
we've got to wake up. If we fellowship with God, we have authority. The name of Jesus works independently of you and me. It's not about you. It's about the authority of Christ won on Calvary. Church, don't let the devil lie to you and say, you're not worthy. You don't deserve this. You can't use the name of Jesus against me. Who are you? You tell him, hey, Mr. Devil, shut up. Perhaps he can understand that. Right? That just means don't speak. In plain language, in French. We must stop begging God to save people. Stop begging God, please save Uncle George. Please save Auntie Mary. Jesus died on the cross to save them. What more do you want him to do? It's up to us now. He's waiting for us, remember? We must get up and say, Satan, you take your hands off Auntie Mary's mind. Let her thinking go in the name of Jesus. I claim her Auntie Mary for Christ. You've got to do it. That's how you do it. Demand the devil. 2 Corinthians 4.3. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan is the god of this world. See that? Satan is the god of this world. Where did he get that? He got it from Adam. God didn't say, okay, Mr. Devil, I want you to be the god of this world. He didn't get that from the Father. No. He stole it from, the de- from Adam. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Why don't they understand salvation message? Because the devil has blinded their thinking. We've got to tell him to back off. We have the authority over the devil to stop that. We are to raise up and demand the devil to release their minds. I found in my own personal life that when I want to pray and exercise authority, I stand up onto my feet and I raise my voice and command Satan to let go. Command him to let go. That's what Peter did at the Gate Beautiful. Now, there's a gate going into the temple, and Peter and John went by to go and pray in the temple, Acts 3.1. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, daily, which is called beautiful, to ask for money from those who entered the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for money. Wasn't asking for healing, he's asking for money. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention. So he gave them his attention. Expecting to receive some money Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. I have what? 
In the name of Jesus, what did Peter have? He had the right to use that name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. Now, Peter did not pray, God, if it be thy will, heal this man. He didn't say, God, should I pray for him? Father God, won't you please heal the man? None of that. He just didn't even pray about it. He just said, get up in the name of Jesus. Right? He exercised authority. He stood there as Christ on behalf of Christ, commanding the will and purpose of Christ be done. He wasn't commanding God. He's commanding the devil to let go. Now, think about this. They put that lame man there from his youth. From his, he was born lame. They carried him there every day. So Jesus walked by that same gate in that temple countless times. He walked by that man with the disciples. And Jesus never healed him. Never healed him. He was wanting money. That's what he was wanting. Jesus went into the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda where the water was stirred every once in a while by an angel. The first one got in got healed. And all the lame, halted, sick were lying around the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus, waiting for the waters to be stirred. And Jesus went in there. He saw one man lame on a stretcher. He says to him, do you want to be healed? He says, yes, but there's no one going to put me in the water because I'm, I can't get there quick enough. The first one gets healed, not after that. And I don't ever get there. So you can see, he had no faith in Jesus, right? His faith's in the water. So Jesus says to him, get up, take your bed, go home. He acted on that, he was instantly healed. Now what was that for? Why did he do that? He did that so that everybody else there could say, me too. Me too. But no one did. So Jesus left. And unfortunately, that's what we've got in our world today. The same attitude. The same attitude. It's done for us. Let's take this. Amen. Let's do this. Let's exercise the authority that's ours. Amen. Let's not be like the rest of those people at the pool of Bethesda. Amen. So Peter took him by the hand. Let's leave that man there now. Let's go back to him at the gate. He's waiting for us. So, uh, so Peter says, get up, and then verse 7 says, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Praise God. So leaping up, stood and walked, and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. Amen. So Peter was demanding Satan take his hands off the lame man. He was demanding, uh, he was not demanding anything from Jesus. He was actually doing what Jesus wanted him to do what Jesus paid for that lame man to have. John 14, 12. Most assuredly. Now, you know, Jesus could have just said, I say to you. But he didn't. He said, most assuredly. He could have just said, assuredly, I say to you. You know, when Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, that means he really wants us to take note of this. Right? He said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, 
I wonder how many believers I have here this morning. The works that I do, He will do also, and greater works than these He'll do because I go to my Father. So it means we can do whatever He did and more of them. Greater works means more of them. And whatever you ask, and I put in brackets to mind, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Whatever you ask in my name that I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now watch that. He said, I want you to do my works so that the Father can be glorified. Now I'm sure that the Lord's concerned about the sick and the suffering and the pain that people are going through. But he didn't say, I want you to do this because suffering humanity needs it. He said, I want you to command things to change so the Father can be glorified. So understand, you're on a mission to bring glory to God by changing things in the name of Jesus. Bringing things in line with the will of God through the name of Jesus. Whatever you demand in my name that I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you demand anything in my name, I will do it. Now, let's just ask ourselves that word anything. What does that mean in the Greek? It means anything. Why? Because that's what anything means. Okay. Now, that word ask here in verse 14, verse 13, in the Greek, I looked it up. Strong's, Young's, Vines, number 4441. Then if you look up 4441, you'll see a small note next to it. The root Greek is 154. So I turned to 154 to get the root Greek meaning because the, the New Testament is written in Greek, right? Not in English. Some folks think, you know, the King James Bible is the one Paul used. It wasn't. Okay, so now, number 154 is the root Greek word, Greek. That's the original writing. And this is what it means, that word ask. Jesus is saying, and this is what it means. Right out of the Strong's Concordance, strictly a demand of something due. Strictly a demand of something due. Now, in other words, there's no messing around here. There's no ifs or buts about it. There's no maybes. It is strictly a demand of something that is due to you. Now, if somebody owes you money, that money is due to you, right? Is that true? Okay. So when you have money owed to you, or healing owed to you, or property owed to you, or anything owed to you, all of that's paid for by Jesus on the cross. It has your name on it. All that is paid for by Jesus on the cross. It has your name on it. Health, healing, prosperity, uh, financial blessing, family blessing, all that's paid for by Jesus on the cross. It is due to you. Like health and healing was due to that lame man, paid for by Jesus. So now Jesus is saying here in verse 14, if you demand anything in my name that is due to you, I'll do it. 
So what is due to us? Everything is paid for. Everything you'll need. Satan is holding it back. Satan is holding back your finances, your blessing, or everything that you need from God. Not God. Not God. You have a right to command the circumstances to change, and you can say, I demand financial prosperity is due to me. 2 right. Corinthians 8, 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It's due to you. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That is the purchased fact. So I like to say, I like to confess this. I like to say, I have my daily confessions, my scriptures, and in there, under Philippians 4.19, I have this statement. Finances, finances flow into my hands continually. Finances, money flows into my hands continually. I say that. And money comes to me. I've been saying it for years. Money comes to me from everywhere. The most unexpected places. Unexpected places. I earned a huge amount of money last year. I'm not going to tell you how much. And it wasn't from this church because last year I didn't get a salary from this church. I, I haven't received a salary for about 10 years. I just started taking a small salary recently. But I'm saying to you, this works. This works. You have what you say and you exercise your authority. I wish I could get believers to exercise their spiritual authority over their finances. If you are a tither, listen to me carefully now. If you are a tither, you can believe God for as much as you want. And God will give it to you. As long as you keep tithing 10% of all that He gives you, God will keep giving you more and more. You can become very wealthy if you keep tithing. But unfortunately, so many Christians, when they start to prosper, they stop tithing. And that's when the problems come. The devil comes and steals their money. Or they shortcut it, you know. Well, I don't have to tithe on this. I don't have to tithe on that. If, if you get 10% somewhere, it all increases God's 10%. All of it. If you'll, if you'll do that, I dare you. I challenge you to start confessing. Finances flow into my hands continually. And say it two, three times a day. And watch what happens in your life. Watch what happens. You'll be amazed. Because it's due to you. Say, it's due to me. It's owed to me. Jesus gave his life to prosper me, to keep me in health, to provide life for me. And all that Jesus bought for me is my inheritance. And I give God the glory in Jesus' name. And I'm giving God the glory. I'm not doing it. I can promise you right now, all that God's done through my life is His grace. As I said in the previous service, my greatest goal in life was to have a suntan in winter. And I used to go down the beach in winter, even though it was storming and cold, raining, flooding, and I was the only person on the beach with the lifeguard. And I'd sit up on his little bench up at the top there and watch the surf. 
And then we'd go out and swim in 15-foot surf in the muddy water because the Mgeni River is coming down. And then I'd watch him catch a dumper and, and dive down, and I would do the next one. And yeah, because we'd watch each other make sure we survived. <laughs> and I was only 16, 17, 18 years old, but my greatest goal in life was to have a suntan in winter. <laughs> and I never wanted to leave Durban. My parents were to go out of town. I used to cry, I don't want to go out of town. No, I want to stay here. I didn't cry, but I'd say, no, I don't want to go out of town, I want to stay here. <laughs> so um, anyway, but you know, God had different ideas. And I, I can tell you right now, everything that's happened in my life is the grace of God and working the Word. Say this, the Word of God will work for me. Nothing can stop it. You take your place, exercise the authority of Christ on the earth. We have to use His authority to accomplish His will on the earth. I believe that God is going to come back for a glorious church. The five wise virgins are going to walk in the fullness of Christ's authority in these days. Now, I'm going to give you three short stories to help you understand how this works. All right? The first one you've heard before, but I'm going to tell you in a different way from this perspective. The first one is about Peggy and Mark Lohman. Peggy and Mark Lohman, Mike was the director of Mercedes-Benz, South Africa, one of them. And he moved from Pretoria to Durban, and they were going to buy a beautiful house about 12, 15,000 square feet house in um, Stronger Rocks, which is the most prestigious little neighborhood in all of the state of Natal. So, part of Durban. And uh, so I was selling houses. They walked into our office, and I happened to be there when they walked in. So I sat down, asked them a lot of questions. We fellowship for a while. Then I said to them, I said, look, when I discovered what they want to buy, I mean, it was, we had nothing like that in our books. It was, she wanted something on the beach for his price, walked from her property onto the sand. And uh, we had never sold a house like that in Fodering Hayes and Hughes history. So, um, when I questioned her, fellowship with her for a while, I said to her, look, we can do this. We can find the house of your dreams. But you're going to have to do something here. You're going to have to say with your mouth that I will find you the house of your dreams. I said, if you say that, you're going to activate spiritual law and I will find the house of your dreams. The house of your dreams. I'll find it for you. Will you say it? So I asked her to explain how that works. She said, yes, okay. So I said, well, say it. She says, you will find me the house of my dreams. Okay, now say this, and then I'll buy that house from you. She said, I'll buy that house from you. Great, all right. So then, after I was separated from her, I went to my office, closed the door, I said, now look here, devil. See? The Bible tells us in Matthew 18, verse 19, if any two agree on earth about anything, it shall be done by the Father in heaven. So I said, now, she said it, 
I agreed, the Word agrees, God agrees, it's done. You take your hands off this deal. You will not steal this business from me, in Jesus' name. Okay. So, because I was tithing 20% of the time, and I said to him too, I said, now 20% of this deal is going to the work of God. Okay? So anyhow, it took five months for, before I could find her the house that she really liked and wanted to buy. And in that time, she bought five houses from five different realtor companies. And every time she called me and told me I bought a house, I'd say to her, Peggy, don't worry, you'll find them and cancel it tomorrow, you'll see. And I put the phone down. She phoned me the day after, she said, you're right, I canceled the deal. I was messing her up with their salad. So anyway, she bought and sold five houses. Or well, not bought and sold, but bought and canceled. Finally, I heard about a house coming on the book, or coming, available. They phoned in. So I went down to see the house, to put on the books, take all the details, fill it out, and put on the books. I was looking at this house, and I thought, it's right on the beach. It's like 1,200, uh, 12,000 15,000 square feet on the beach, three acres in, in, in uh, Mishonga Rocks. You walk from, the, from her property onto the beach. And so I, I thought, my goodness, this is exactly what Peggy and Mark would want, exactly. So I phoned them. Now, I'm still down. I phoned them. I said, listen, you've got to come down now and look at this house. And I put in the books, and I want you to look at it before I even let anybody else know it's for, for sale. So uh, she came down. She said, this is it. I want to buy it. So I signed the contract with the, side, the seller and the buyer there and then. There and then. And uh, she left. And then the seller said to me, now we don't have a house. Can you help us? I said, sure. What are you looking for? They told us. I said, look, all our kids have left home now. They've grown up. So we want a nice house overlooking the Amgani River, overlooking the Blue Lagoon and the sea or up on Athlone Hill, looking down the sea view. Beautiful, prestigious area. So I said, fine. So I sold them a house, slightly smaller than the one that they sold to Peggy. Both of these deals were bigger than any other deal that Fodring Hayes and Hughes had ever done in their history. So I took these two contracts into the office, gave them to Ed Waller, one of the directors. When he saw this, he was doing cartwheels. He was so excited because it's a huge amount of money for the company and a huge commission for me. So he can't, you can't believe how excited he was. All that happened on the Friday. So now, Saturday morning, I arrive at work. And as I arrive, I park my car and I'm walking into the office. And outside the office, in the doorway, there's the Frenchman. He's one of the salesmen, smoking his pipe. And he's smiling like a Cheshire cat grinning from ear to ear. And I thought all the salesmen had gathered to wish me and congratulate me. But no, he told me with a smile on his face that Peggy Lohman just called him and told him, I must cancel the deal. He tells me, Peggy called, cancel the deal. And he's smiling, so I smiled back. <laughs> I said, I said no, she's not cancelled deal. She loves the house. He says, <laughs> no, he's still smiling. She's cancelled the deal. 
She just spoke to me. I said, no, she hasn't. She loves the house. And I was smiling, you know, I walked right past him, just ignored him. I went to my office, closed the door, and I said, now, Mr. Devil, look here. Okay? The seller signed that contract. The buyer, the buyer signed that contract. That's the deal. Okay? And I said, any two agree? The Word agrees. God agrees. Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the angels agree. I agree. You have no authority here. And besides, 20% of this money is going to God's work. You I command to go. In the name of Jesus, I bind you, release this business. I walked out. Ed called me. Just then there was a knock on the door. Ed Wallace calling you to his office. Okay. So I go in. I sit down. He says, Theo. He says, look at these two contracts. Now he's panicking. You know, Spiggy's just called to cancel this deal. Just called right now to cancel the deal. So I smiled and said, no, Ed, everything's fine. She loves the house. He says, no, she just phoned five minutes ago before you came in. It's canceled. I said, no, Ed, it's not. She loves the house. Now he's trying to convince me. I said, listen, Ed, listen. I have inside information. I have inside information. Just trust me. She loves it. He looks at me. Now, he was born again, okay? Barely. He was just born again. He loved the Lord. Methodist. You know, the Methodists love the Lord, but they don't know much about the Bible. And bless their little hearts. So anyhow, so I'm trying to teach him. I've been there three years trying to teach him faith. So he looks at me, he's trying to figure me out. He couldn't figure me out. So I left. Of course, he didn't know. When I said inside information, I'm talking about inside the Bible, you know, Matthew 18, 19, Matthew 18, 18, you know, whatever you bind, you need to agree, all that. That's inside information. So, um, I called her. I said, Peggy, I believe you called. She says, yes. Um, I called to cancel. I said, so I heard. I said, now, Peggy, look. It's natural for you to feel a little jitters after making such a big purchase. I said, but now, since you've signed the contract, you can go to that house tomorrow and spend all day there and look at it. And imagine you and your family living there. Take your kids, take your husband, and go walk around, spend a few hours in the house, see how you would live there, and walk out on the beach, see if you like it. And I said, you'll find you love it, Peggy. Your kids will love it. Mike will love it. And you'll phone me on Monday and tell me you love it. But if you phone me on Monday and say you don't want it, I'll cancel it. But I know you love it and you'll want it. So, fine, fine. She's happy with that. I forget about this. I absolutely, totally forgot about it. That's Saturday. I didn't work Sundays. The other salesman did. I didn't. So um, Monday morning, I arrive at the office. I went to my office, and I sat down. I'm working away. The phone rings. It's Peggy. Yeah, I'm so embarrassed. I said, why? She says, because I messed you around. We love the house. Please don't worry. We want to go through with this deal. So I said, fine, fine. Everything's fine. And... Um, so both deals are back online because both were canceled and both are back online and they went through. Now, here's the thing. See, I changed the natural circumstances by dealing with the spiritual realm. You got it? Okay. Number one. Number two, that happened to me, I would say, 99% of the time. Where the devil tried to stop every single one of our deals. Every single one. Try to stop them. 
and everyone, I had to stand up and resist him. We must understand the devil is never going to allow you to do what God's called you to do or to be blessed or receive, or receive anything from God as he paid for it on the cross. You have to stand against the devil. Talk to the devil if you have a problem. Command him. Say, Satan, I resist you. I rebuke you. I resist this in Jesus' name. Talk to him. You understand that? If you're not sure that's the devil or not, just blame him, blame him anyhow. Blame him anyhow. Just blame him anyhow. I'm going to give you three quick stories. Well, I've given you one already. I'll give you another two. That happened in 1990. Uh, that happened in 1978. Now, Kenneth E. Hagen used to preach in a church. He was a pastor for 12 years. Then he traveled in a circuit preaching. And um, he came to this one church where he had a very special friend of his who was a pastor of the church. And they wouldn't even receive an offering big enough to pay for his travel expenses. He'd drive everywhere, wouldn't fly. And they, the offering he received when he preached there wouldn't even cover his gas costs to get to the church. And it was a distance away. He had to travel many hours. And so he didn't like going there, but because of his friend, he kept going. Then one particular time that he went, everything had changed. And the offering was so big that it paid for everything he needed and a lot more over. And the pastor of the church said, did you notice a difference in the church? He said, yes, I did. What happened? And he said, well... He said, I decided to fast and pray because the money coming in the church was so low, it wouldn't pay my study, it wouldn't pay the running across the church. We struggled financially for years. And so I was lying on the platform praying in tongues, looking up into the rafters of this ceiling, just praying in the Spirit, talking to the Lord. And on the third day, the Lord opened my eyes and I saw this great big gorilla kind of looking creature in the rafters. And I realized right away it's a big demon spirit. So I got up off my feet and I said to this demon, you're going to come down from there. And he came down, he swung down to the rafters, jumped on the pulpit and onto the platform. And then he said to him, now I command you, in the name of Jesus, go out the church. So this demon started walking down the aisle to the back of the church. And it got halfway down the aisle and he turned around and looked longingly at the pastor. Like, don't kick me out of the church. Please don't kick me out of the church. And the, the pastor said, get out in the name of Jesus. Now, I, you know, when I heard that testimony from Brother Hagen, I thought to myself, isn't that amazing? That demons like to be in church more than some Christians. Isn't that amazing? Demons like to be in church more than some Christians. He said to him, get out in the name of Jesus. They walked to the back of the church. When he got to the back door, he turned again and looked at him, pleading, don't let me go. And he commanded him, go in the name of Jesus. He walked down the pathway through the gate over the street and down the road 200 yards and entered a nightclub. The next day, the nightclub burnt down. Now, let's think about this, okay? Let's think about this. The people in the congregation... They didn't tithe, they didn't give offerings, so they couldn't have prospered from God. God would not bless them. So the church suffered, 
Kenneth Hagin didn't get his offering, and no one in that church prospered. All because of one demon. So because he commanded the demon to leave, he changed the circumstance in the church, and the finances were rushed into the church, everyone got blessed, number one. Number two, the nightclub burnt down. I guess the demon was a little upset because he kicked out of the church, he burnt the nightclub down. So now if, when the insurance company came, I guess, to ask the owner of the nightclub what happened, they'll be all looking for the problem. They had no idea. If you told the man, listen, the demon came in here and lit this thing up and burnt it down. They would look at you like, what planet do you come from? Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't think that these natural disasters are caused by demons through people, but they are, family. We've got to wake up and realize that demons cause more problems for us than we could ever imagine and deal with the spirit realm. Okay, so, so Bulby's, Annette has this little dog. And I didn't like Bull. It stayed away from Bull, wouldn't go near him. So Bull is sitting in his chair watching the TV. It's their day off. And they have a company. They sell, they, their company sells homes, real estate. So they are realtors, and that was their business. So there's a knock at the door, okay? This woman answers, the woman's at the door, says, I'd like an appointment for you to show me some houses. So he invites her in, gets her details, makes the appointment, and then lets her go. And um, he closes the door, he sits down on the chair, and this little dog of Annette's jumps on his lap. He's never done that. Never done that. And the dog is now shivering, shivering from fear. Not cold, fear. Terrified. So he puts the little dog down on the floor. It jumps right back. He puts it down, it jumps right back. So he calls Annette. He says, Annette, your dog's acting so weird. Tells her what's going on. She says, he's seeing a demon in the house. Cast it out. So he puts the phone down, he's sitting in the chair, he says, Satan, you go out of this house in the name of Jesus. And just like that, the dog jumps off his lap and starts acting normal. So I wonder how many dogs are acting weird because of demons. And you know the Bible says beware of dogs, did you know that? You read that in the New Testament? It beware of dogs. It's in the Bible. It's not talking about animal dogs. <laughs> not talking about animal dogs. I'm just kidding with you. But it does say that, beware of dogs. Okay. So, who would have thought that a dog's attitude could change because you cast a demon out? Do you see what I'm talking about? Who would have thought that that dog's freaking out like that because of a demon? We would take him to the vet. This dog's gone nuts. <laughs> No, it's a demon. I know this sounds so weird, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound weird? Say this. If I can control the spiritual world around me, filled with hostile demonic forces, I can dominate the natural. 